Welcome to the New York Mandate podcast, where we take a look at the costs and consequences of New York's COVID-19 vaccine mandates. I'm Amy, and in this series, I'll be talking with people who have been directly affected by mandates about their perspectives and experiences. Today, I'm here with Karen Rosado, who has worked as an EMT and a paramedic with the FDNY and was recently terminated um, due to the vaccine mandates. Why don't we start by explaining uh, just what happened with with the mandate, um, how when that came down, how that affected you and what the process was uh, with your employment? Um, it came down pretty quick. I remember hearing rumors around September, October, that it would be a mandate in the department. Um, and it actually, it actually came down in October. So we were given less than a month, I think it was two weeks, um, to make that decision. Um, and even before then, we were offering the vaccine mandate and I was very hesitant, um, just because I'm still fairly young. Um, I want kids. I know it was a new form of a way to give a vaccine and there were no um, definite answers on what it would do to pregnancy um, or children in the womb or anything like that. So I wanted to wait. My initial was to just wait to see if there's any long-term reactions or adverse reactions and then make the decision then. Um, And then the mandate came down that you get it or you lose your job. And that was a lot of anxiety. I would go back and forth with it. I would say I should just comply. This is a career that I work so hard for, um, that I really, I really wanted this career. So I don't want to lose it. And then I would go back to, but you know, is it right for me? Is it right for my body? Do I give up the possibility of maybe not being able to have kids just because we don't know? to keep a career that if that was to happen, I would be resentful and probably become bitter. So I would go back and forth between those emotions, those thoughts. And in the end, I think I just felt, I just came at peace. Something just kind of clicked and it said, you have to go with your gut feeling. You know, you're not ready to take it. Um, It's not right to be forced on you. And I just stood my ground. And in the beginning, it was like, okay, well, maybe something will be reversed fairly quickly and I can go back to work um, and not have to worry. You know, we get the option to take the flu shot every year and every year I deny it and I've never lost my job over it. So the unions, so we're under two unions, um, EMS and FDNY. So we have DC 37 and we have local 2507. Local 2507s are immediate. union and they did not agree to mandating vaccines so it came under dc 37 so i was in hopes that at least the local 2507 was still fighting which they were um we had meetings in the beginning and it was we did have a lawyer and i was just hoping in the beginning that they would just figure it out and then more and more things started coming out and it just pushed me farther and farther away you can't eat in restaurants if you're not vaccinated um some doctors wouldn't see you or would treat you badly if you didn't get vaccinated. I had one doctor just 
speaking down to me because I wasn't vaccinated because um, I had a really bad sinus infection and he told me well no ENT is going to see you because you're not vaccinated so um, it pushed me farther and farther away and I no longer wanted to get it anytime soon or possibly in the near future you know bribing people with money if you have something that works you shouldn't have to bribe somebody with money you shouldn't have to threaten the career uh, explain what you mean by that they gave an incentive with it wasn't coming from FDY it came from the city but um, it was offered to city workers if they got the vaccine by a certain date they were to be given 500 it started with a hundred dollars a hundred dollar gift card and then I I think it went to 500 but actually I can't, I can't confirm. I know it was a $100 gift card and uh, people were looking for it. When they got the vaccine, they thought we handed them out in FDNY and you had to like apply for it to get $100. You know, take a vaccine that you don't know what it's gonna cause in your body for $100. And that to me just was bizarre, really bizarre, you know? And nobody's liable. No one would hear anybody's adverse reactions. No one would um, help treat. It was often pushed off to a lot of people that they're just experiencing anxiety. Um, I know a lot of people in my family that had adverse reactions, friends that had adverse reactions, and they're kind of told, oh, well, you would have got this eventually. You know, autoimmune diseases. Oh, it could have came up in your life eventually. While that's partially true, it, autoimmune diseases are also genetic and there's nobody in my family that has them. So the people that did choose to get the vaccine, it just popped up right after. You know, things like that definitely just... At this point in my life, you can never say never, but I don't see it happening anytime in the future. I don't. Were there? You said that there were some doctors who were refusing to see people. Is that something that happened with you? It wasn't with me personally. I just heard stories because uh, we have all these groups and you make connections and um, they would say that the doctors refuse to see them or treat them or they're told they can't go into a clinic. Uh, they have to try another personal doctor or hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so those are those are stories. But I personally, the doctor that I spoke to, um, definitely talked down to me and told me no ENT would see me because I'm not vaccinated. So then what happened um, with receiving notice from the department or whoever, whoever you received uh, notice from? What were the steps in? Um, I never heard from anybody um, in the higher ups, like no captains or chiefs. In the department, it was always through letters, letters and um, emails. So beginning November 1st, I wrote to HR and um, you know, I just wrote them a letter stating my concerns. Um, you know, I don't want to disclose all of my medical history, but I had severe concerns about possible adverse reactions and if the department would be liable for me or my family if I wouldn't be able to work. Um, what is the process of being on leave without pay? Um, am I still employed? I asked, um, can I receive unemployment? And I think that was, I think that might have been the end of the questions. And I just got, um, if you do not get the vaccine, you will be terminated. You will be informed when you're terminated. Um, they told me I will not receive unemployment um, because they're saying that I'm violating a policy. When I asked them to show me the policy, I was not given any 
any uh, response to that or documentation to that. Um, so they kind of picked and choose which answers they wanted, uh, questions they wanted to answer. Um, and then the, so I was on leave without pay from November 1st until February 11th. And I would just keep receiving um, post mail that says you have not been compliant. And if you're not compliant, you will be terminated. And then the mayor came out sometime in February saying that the city workers will be terminated. And that's when I got the letter of February. It was dated February 11th and I received it on the 14th, February 14th, certified mail saying that I was terminated and to return all my gear and my health insurance was ceased immediately. Um, and that was it. And then there's an argument they said that they're holding the last paycheck, meaning our comp time that we worked for, our sick time, and our um, vacation time. But the union is saying that there are current arguments of if they're actually going to give it to us. Which is odd because comp time at least you work for. And um, vacation time you're, you accue over time of walking, uh, working. So after a certain amount of days, you gain certain hours. So, but the comp time is when you do overtime, you you work those hours. And so there's kind of speculations that we won't be paid that out, even though we worked it. So what are, what are all the uh, things that you lost, all the benefits that you lost when you lost that employment? My health benefits, my pension. So I'm not, I wasn't paying into the city pension. Um, so that's another letter that I received that because I'm not contributing to the pension anymore, it it is to be closed. Um, however, I've not received anything from my pension either. Um, the benefits, I mean, the, the, the benefits of coworkers, that family orientation as well, um, you kind of just get left out. But the, the immediate benefits from the job is the health insurance, the pension. Um, and just getting paid. <laughs> so I have not had an, any income since November 1st. And you were, did you apply for uh, unemployment? Um, I did, um, and multiple people did in um, the department and their response. Some people were getting letters saying that they, um, they, uh, they quit, which is not true. And then other people are getting letters saying that they are not compliant with the jobs policy. So there's there's multiple two different reasons that they're giving everybody. Um, and um, so it's, it's a little confusing um, as to pose what they're actually putting on paper because we're showing them we're getting letters that say that we're terminated, but they're still turning around saying we quit and we didn't quit. Right. Did you uh, apply for an exemption at any point? No. I didn't. I don't have a medical exemption. Um, I could go with religious, you know, um, and more of a spiritual uh, side, uh, religious side. But to me, I, I didn't think that I had to do that. I don't have to display my beliefs to be exempt from it. And at the same time, I kind of felt that it would just buy me some time and um, that it would be denied. And that wasn't... That wasn't something that was happening at the time, but it, it just 
I just felt inside that it just would have bought me a little more time on the job and then it would have been denied or it would have been a an argument where I would have had to prove or state my case and I don't want to argue what I believe what I believe is what I believe you don't have to agree with it which is odd because that's in title 7 of the EEO is they don't have to believe it they don't have to believe it doesn't have to be consistent and yet they're still denying people you're talking about the EEOC the equal employment or equal opportunity employment, equal employment opportunity commission yeah <laughs> okay something like that yeah mm-hmm. um, okay so um, so you've been unemployed, unemployed since February November first so since you've been you were on leave, first on leave without pay right. and then terminated in February yeah um, so tell me what you know whatever you'd like to disclose publicly but how is this affecting you financially um, I <laughs> I am late on every bill every single bill I kind of determine what's most priority at that time um, you know, I didn't have a lot of savings for EMS in general. We are one of the lowest paid city workers and also agencies for emergency service. Um, I think it's nationwide. Um, I believe it's nationwide, but definitely citywide. Um, so a lot of members lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, you know, you had members who um, live in their car. I've been at that point once in my life in this career. Um, so I didn't have a lot of savings. So through this process, there are times where like this one bill is so far behind and then I get, you know, well, we're going to have to cut um, this bill, like light bill off. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to put some money towards that. And then something else gets so behind where they want to cut that off. So I'm really just living on the edge. And um, part of it that has kept me here through this process is because one, I am one of the main plaintiffs for one of the lawsuits, but... I believe in the fight, you know, and, and this is my city, this is where I grew up, this was this is home to me. So I do want to see it to the end for as much as I could. And I know that it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be an uncomfortable process, but I'm trying to hold on for as long as, as I can um, before I make a strong decision to possibly have to move out of the state just to live, you know, work something that I didn't think I'd have to beg for or prove anything you know a big misconception people say is oh well you had to get vaccines to be on the job and that's true and and I knew which vaccines I needed and I had those because I had them when I was a kid you know and you have to show your titers report which was fine that those are the ones I had those decisions were made for me young and maybe I've made some you know throughout my life that I agreed with but just because I don't agree with one um, didn't mean I had to change the fate of my life you know everything now is I have to think about everything that I didn't really necessarily like little things like little maintenance things for females so I can't afford that you know and then just cutting simple things like oh my car might be repossessed and I had to get into the mindset that that's materialistic too that's that's a privilege and if I lose it I got two legs <laughs> I can't go on a bus if I'm not vaccinated or I don't know if they took that away um, for the riding which is weird because the, the employers are not forced to be vaccinated 
You're talking MTA. about MTA workers. Mm-hmm. But the patrons have to be to ride. Right. I think that may be a bit of a gray area at this point because there is a New York City worker mandate that applies to all workers who work in a workplace, including a vehicle. So I'm. that's one of the things that I'll, I'll be interested to see is how that yeah is um, applied to them applied to the mta workers you know if at all I don't yeah know. we'll have to watch that so um th- tell me tell me a little bit about your your background like how did you how did you get into this field how why did you go into it in the first place um growing up my, my mom used to volunteer as an ent um in some houses in long island um, so I, I was exposed to it young, um, but my, when I decided to choose a career at the time, it was to be a nurse practitioner. Um, and I was in the foster care system in my childhood years, so it was something I knew I had to strive hard for, and I kind of laid out a plan. And instead of going straight through school with that, because it's a lot of money, which I didn't have, um, and I didn't have the means to take out a loan at the time, um, I decided to pick up the EMT course and take that because I'm also a hands-on learner. So I said, let me take this, let me get um, introduced into the medical field, and I could learn a lot of things hands-on, and then nursing would be easier for me. So, um, and I just, I, I enjoy helping people. I think a lot of people that get in this job have that um, sense to help people. So... I started in the department and then when I um, became financially stable I started taking my classes to become a nurse Um, and uh, I would speak to a lot of people in in the field and someone said well why don't you do PA it's it's faster and it's easier so I looked into that um, and I started taking classes for that and I actually had one more class to finish Um, and that's when they had the the mandate for the schools and it's organic chemistry, so I have to be in class for that one. There's no, um, you have to go for the um, the labs. So I just pulled out of that, and I actually applied to the nursing program in uh, Miami, Florida, because they don't have mandates. And um, I went through all that process, and I could start three months here, and then I could uh, finish the rest in person. And then I became the main plaintiff for one of the lawsuits in New York. So I had to put that on hold too. So um, yeah, it's been a process. I feel like every time I move a little bit forward, I get pulled back a little bit, but um, I, was, I was comfortable. You know, I, I fell into a comfort zone working and I was happy. And even when I thought about continuing nursing, I wanted to keep this job, which a lot of people think is nuts because you'll make more money as a nurse. But I'm like, well, you know, it's something you enjoy, you know, it's something new every day. You're helping different people for different reasons. So I fell in love with the job in itself. And I stayed probably longer than I should have. <laughs> you were working um, as a paramedic through the height of the pandemic in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where, what areas of the city were you working in? Uh, majority of my career was in Washington Heights. Um, but. For the pandemic, I was in Queens, and uh, 
during the beginning of the pandemic, right, right in the beginning, I was actually um, out injured, but I was working in the, our pharmacy that we have. So I came out a little bit late um, throughout the pandemic. Um, but when I came out, it seemed to have um, leveled out a little bit. So I didn't have um, as much hecticness that my coworkers had. You know, a lot of the unknowns right in the beginning. I didn't have that. Um, so I came out when they kind of created more of a, a regimen for it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But still, it was um, it was interesting because I, I, from my eyes, at least at the point that I was out, oh, sorry. At least the point that I was out um, in the field, I didn't see that many COVID calls. Um, but my coworkers did say that when they were out there, everything was treated as COVID. Everything was document, documented as um, COVID related. So even if they, you know, if it was a car accident or a fender bender where somebody went to the hospital, while it is also put in as an accident, they had to put COVID related, which I think inflates the numbers. Um, and it's not to say that there weren't a lot of deaths, there were. But we had a policy that came out that said, um, and I don't want to miss say the number, it was about 20 or 30 minutes, I think, in um, CPR, if you're trying to revive somebody, if you didn't get any signs of life that you were to cease efforts. So I understand the mental struggle that caused coworkers because you could have somebody young that maybe they showed signs of a heart attack to their family right before and you're only to give them 20, 30 minutes because it's all the unknown, it's the fear. Well, if they died of COVID, you don't wanna expose yourself longer than um, you need to if there's no signs of life, you know? So there was a lot, of, a lot of that going on, a lot of people dying, but not everybody dying from COVID. People die for other reasons, you know? And unfortunately they got pulled into COVID and I don't think they had the best chance to um, to be revived at times in my opinion how long is is it is standard to give somebody to revive them um, there's no time there's no there, we don't have a policy for time um, it, it's all dependent on the situation so if you if you have any signs of life if you have any um, electrical activity for the heart uh, mechanical activity for the heart, any signs of breathing, um, you keep going and you're, you try all these different medications. Um, so if you don't have anything, I want to say the average is, it, in my opinion, I think it's about 40 minutes. You don't realize that you're doing it for 40 minutes. Um, but the reason I say that is because usually we call the doctor for more orders and you know, you look at the time for how they ask you how long you've been doing it. And from my recollection, my memory, I think I would say the average is about 40 minutes, um, if not longer, especially if they have any signs of life. You know, you're, you're usually continuing in route and the hospital continues for as long as they need to. So the, um, <clears throat> the, what they were requiring people to do during the pandemic was cutting that time roughly in half. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I understand to some 
point because uh, it was a lot of unknowns. Are we being expo exposed? There was a lot of fear for in employers, uh, you know, getting getting sick themselves or bringing it home. People had, you know, young children, newborns, older parents. They didn't want to bring that home, or them themselves had underlying um, issues that it was a risk. And, and I understand that. Um, but when you look back and you look at all the the spins on stories and the inflation of numbers, it makes me think if if we let too many people go too soon, you know, for the wrong reasons, you know. But I understand in, in that time, we didn't know anything. So the unknown caused a lot of fear and the fear caused a lot of shortcuts, I think. Did you see a lot of um, <clears throat> the effect of COVID in in your department, among your coworkers? Were people getting sick? Was that affecting mm -hmm. yeah. the performance of the department? Yeah. yeah. So that was another thing. Um, so it seemed like when, when one person got sick, it was a domino effect of people around them um, getting sick either with positive test of COVID, negative test of COVID. So it was weird because some people that had negative tests had all the telltale signs of COVID symptoms and some people that were positive had no symptoms. So what was weird in that process is when in the very beginning, anybody who was sick had to be out for 14 days. Um, and then that started getting cut in half and, and still in the beginning when everything was still unknown and there was a lot of fear, there were so many um, people out that it was causing the deficit to the city. There wasn't, the ambulances were uh, not being run because we didn't have the personnel because everybody was out sick. So then they started telling people to come in if you didn't have like a high fever, you were to come in even if you had the cough, um, any other symptom that you could think of, the headaches, the body aches, you were still to come to work if you didn't have a high fever. And then it was cutting the downtime, it was 14 days, um, I believe to 10, and then possibly to seven. Um, I don't wanna misstate the days because you know, people like to fact check, but it, it kept cutting the time from when you could be out and then it was, you know, you needed a positive test and a high fever in order to stay out and stay home. So in, in one aspect, they're telling people, you know, it, we don't know what's out there. You have to protect yourself. But at the same time, they're bringing people back to work that are positive tests because they're asymptomatic and or symptomatic negative tests and still spreading it to their coworkers and to the community. So it was very weird to see that, you know, I, I understand ambulances need to run, but I think they help the spread. Absolutely. What is, um, you know, not everyone is familiar with how the emergency system works in New York City. It's a big city, complicated, lots of different uh, agencies and departments and hospitals. Yeah. Um, so what is the relationship between, you know, ambulances that are not related to the fire department and the fire department's emergency services? Like if, if someone calls 911, how do you end up uh, showing up? So it's a database that all ambulances are under, FDNY and hospital ambulances. We all are under the same radio system. Um, and every ambulance is given like a street location to sit in and you cover a certain diameter in that area for the most part. So when somebody calls 911 and they're um, 
in in this area whatever ambulance is the closest to that area is to go to that call whether you're FDNY or a hospital um, ambulance any ambulance that's in the 911 system um, so there are times that so for example during COVID when the calls are up maybe my maybe let's just bring it down to small numbers my ambulance covers five blocks um, so let's say I get a call um, to a block a person two blocks away um, the next ambulance might cover the next five blocks but um, if I'm busy on this call and there's another call within my block radius they might have to come down or go up farther from their area to cover that so a lot of times these ambulances are pulled out of their areas. So during the height of COVID, you have ambulances, let's say, coming from downtown Manhattan to go all the way uptown, you know, like 50, 60, 80 blocks away, you don't know, just because we don't have enough ambulances that normally cover that area. So everybody's crisscrossing out of their areas farther than they're supposed to go. So it's, it's hectic. It's definitely hectic. And then there's a separation for EMTs and paramedics. So that's a big thing when, when the call volume's high. Let's say, um, let's say somebody calls and, and says that somebody's dead on the street um, and they say they're dead. So you need a paramedic and EMT. So let's say they dispatch me as a paramedic and they dispatch EMTs. And we go there and maybe it's a homeless person sleeping or someone intoxicated. So paramedics don't need to be on a somebody sleeping or somebody intoxicated when that's not the priority paramedics are saved for um, higher priority so cardiac arrest um, anything to do with the heart severe um, um, restriction of breathing because we have the tools for that so now we might be on this call with the person sleeping and then somebody else calls for um, a, a child choking which we should be on that call, but now they don't have us because we're stuck with the person sleeping. So now they'll send an EMT, which our EMTs are very good and they can handle it, but they don't also have the tools that we had. So if, if that goes worse than, um, than what they're capable of, they don't have us anymore for that call. So during COVID, you have a lot of that too. You know, a lot of mis-dispatching mm -hmm. um, ambulances. Right, right. What is, what is the, um, like, what is your week like if you're <laughs> working this job? I think people don't really know that. Um, yeah, do, You work different, like, what are the shifts like? What is your day-to-day -day kind of uh, on the job like? Um, so that changed, <laughs> no, everything changed during COVID. Um, that changed during COVID too. In the beginning, we were doing eight-hour shifts. Um, so you would do uh, five days on, you get two days off, and then you work five days again and you get three days off. So it was a rotating schedule um, for eight hours. And then during COVID, we switched to 12-hour tours. So you would work two days on, two days off, two days on, three days off, uh, or three days on, two days off. Um, so that also rotates. Um, so the times right now are 12 and it, your schedule rotates so every other weekend you have off. But um, in a 12-hour period, you're given everything. It is just a mixed bag. I mean, you. there are some days where our calls are something simple. Somebody just wants to be, wants their blood pressure checked or wants to go to the hospital for a checkup 
or they stub their toe and then you'll have like a week straight where it's every serious call you could think of like you're using all your skills all your medications all your tools um so it's just it's just a russian roulette every day and i think that um that's what makes us really good paramedics um and emts or first responders um you know because we're given a mix of everything every day you just don't know you can never come in and predict Oh, it's going to be an easy day or it's going to be a heavy day. You can't predict anything. So, um, yeah, the week can be really crazy or it can be pretty um, subdued. It's, it's just, you never know. So you were doing that job uh, from 2012. Yeah. So that's a little while. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what did you like about it? Um, I, I like the medical field, I like the, the knowledge I have, the skills that I have, um, and being able to use those to help people in life-saving situations. So you're walking in um, to somebody on their worst day. Um, and then you'll get patients where like, we say like they're circling the drain, like they're, they're doing really bad. And it's so weird, like they'll just reach up and, and grab your hand and thank you. And it's like, they just had the worst experience ever. And they're trying to thank you and they still have a long way to go. And um, there's something humbling in that, you know, definitely brings you back to why you're doing what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I love um, how medicine works. I like constantly learning and uh, medicine's always changing. Um, and learning new things, new techniques, new forms, seeing the medical field evolve, um, and that you're able to question things that no longer work from the past, you know? So to me, I think the the learning process is is um, enjoyable. But then just the, pa the patients you meet, you meet some pretty um, wonderful people, you know? And it's, it's, it's so weird because it's, it's usually during their hardest times that you get to know these people or how amazing they are at things that they've done. So, you know, there's definitely people you, you keep in mind or stories you keep in mind um, that stay with you. Do you see people after you, you know, show up in an ambulance? Like, um, do you see them in the hospital or do you see them at any point after that? Or is it just kind of... Um Sometimes. I mean, um, definitely when you, when you drop them off at the hospital, when you go back... Um, you, you know, you run into them again and sometimes I'll just pop my head and see how they're doing. Um, it's kind of rare to see them outside, um, but it does happen. And um, it's weird because they're in such a better mood and they're like, they'll remember you. Um, and, and it's even weird because some people that actually die that you bring them back. Uh, I've, I've read before that one of the last things to go when you die is, is your hearing. And you'll hear people that tell stories when they come back tell you things that you may have said on a call. Like, you know, you may have said, oh, pass me the defibrillator or something. And they remember that. It was just so weird because they're clinically dead. Right. Um, so it's interesting. But I did meet um, a young kid who was um, shot in the head. And that was... Um, it was a hard scene because his sister just happened to walk by and, and see her brother. And, um, you know, he was young and shot in the back of the head and we weren't sure how he would make it, but he did. And um, 
me and my partner both got to meet him after that and it was um it's just I, I don't know how it was for him we didn't go into the call or his um recovery or anything but you know after me and my partner are trying to recover the details and there's a lot of things that we remembered or we didn't remember it's like oh do, do you remember what he looked like and it's like oh i thought he um you know i thought he he had like a a, a mole or a freckle so you remember like really weird things so it's like oh it's interesting so it's interesting to know that we think or hear or feel different or i wonder what their process is i never got to have that kind of conversation with um with somebody mm-hmm. so i, I want to ask you um a little bit about the public health arguments and the rationales for the the mandates um especially for healthcare workers you know anyone who works in a medical field there are a lot of people who feel that it's it's a public health issue mm-hmm. that uh, the vaccines reduce the rate of transmission, that they uh, reduce the severity of the disease, so they keep people out of hospitals, right? And they, mm-hmm. they so our uh, medical system won't be overtaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I, I think you said that you you've taken other vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess re uh, boosters of childhood vaccines, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, in the course of your employment. So um, there are a lot of people who think that's really important for medical workers to do that. So, what do you think about that argument? Um, I think people need to be a little bit more open-minded, um, and I say that with respect. That sometimes I am closed-minded. Um, so the childhood of vaccines. Um, I don't know, I obviously was not alive to go through any pandemic that they went through to know what the process of those vaccines were. However, I know that I have not contracted measles, mumps, or rubella, which I'm vaccinated against. So at this point, I would believe that that works, right? So if I came across somebody, I would think that I wouldn't um, contract it. However, who knows? I haven't been in that situation, so I can't say. However, with the COVID vaccination, it has already been proven that people who are vaccinated still get COVID. So I don't understand what the protection is. Um, And as far as reducing your um, infection, I don't know if that's true either. So I do remember them saying that, that people with underlying health issues to get the vaccine because it will risk the rate of you being hospitalized or possibly dying. And while I understood that and agreed with that, a couple of months later, um, I read an article. So it's it's not a peer-reviewed journal. So it's not something that um, is completely fact-checked or went through um, a panel of doctors. But there was an article that said, um, the people that are dying from COVID who have been vaccinated have at least one underlying health issue. So that seems to cancel out what they were trying to promote. Now, I think that needs to be looked into. I think that needs to be a medical journal or article that has been peer-reviewed to determine if that's true. However, I have the open mind to think that it, it could be a possibility. I don't think they can guarantee that people who have underlying health issues who get vaccinated won't get severely sick or die because we know that a lot of that is probably hidden, um, or I assume it's probably hidden. 
Um, and I myself, um, in the beginning when they were talking about the, the home test or the PCR test and there were people saying, oh, it doesn't, um, it can't differentiate from the flu from COVID and also saying that people can get COVID twice. I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard people get COVID twice and the test, uh, can't differentiate from the flu from COVID. I'm like, oh, that's not true. Um, it does. And I've heard people get COVID more than once. And then one of the doctors, um, one of the freedom doctors had broke it down later on. And he said that it cannot differentiate between the flu and COVID. And a lot of times when people say that they got COVID twice, in reality, they may have had the flu first, got tested, and it came back positive for COVID. And when they, in fact, only had the flu. And then they get sick again, and they take the test, and it shows positive for COVID. And this time, they actually have COVID, or vice versa. So in that respect, I was just like, oh, okay, it could possibly be true. You know, I need to be more open-minded to realize that just because you hear something or read something doesn't mean that it's absolutely written in the sand true. And that's the thing with the vaccines. I don't feel like they're being completely transparent. Anybody who opposes their view um, or um, the, the vaccine, the mandate, they're censored. It's um, taken off any internet. Um, it's told that it's not true, but I think you need to give everybody all the information so that they can make the decisions themselves. And I think that's what's fair and, what, and really what needed for people to make the right decision. You know, even if you don't believe it, it should be at least somebody's opinion to lay all possible facts on the table or at least allow these um these to be tested and put through peer review to be published publicly. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of saying that there was a disconnect between what you were seeing happen in your personal experience mm-hmm. and what you were hearing from public health officials at some points. Yeah. And there was also a suppression of dissent, uh, dissenting views, opinions. Yeah. And this. Uh, damaged your confidence yeah. in in what public health officials were saying. Mm-hmm. Even in the field when I was working towards the end, right before I was put on leave without pay, and I expressed that to HR as well as I, I failed to see the emergency to be vaccinated at this time because the calls that I was getting and the patients that I were seeing, um, I didn't have many with COVID um, symptoms, complaints, uh, experiences. They weren't calling for that anymore. And um, my peers in the hospital. Like what period are you talking about? uh, This is right before, uh, this is September, October, right before leave without pay. Um, And the call volume wasn't as high. We we were getting a little bit more downtime. And my coworkers, or I mean, sorry, my my peers in the hospital were saying the same, um, that they weren't seeing that many COVID. And even a patient that I had, her family member was a nurse. And she asked me, she was like, are you seeing a lot of, COVID patients and I said no not really not anymore and she said us either so we weren't seeing the numbers for um, the COVID infected patients but they kept saying that New York is a high infection rate and the numbers are going up so if we're not seeing it in the emergency emergency setting if we're not getting cold you know in the 911 if they're not being admitted to the hospital where are these patients that are 
causing the numbers to go up. Um, so, I mean, they didn't respond to that. Um, but also the, the lack of acknowledgement for my um, natural antibodies. You know, I had COVID in August and I just tested, I want to say three, four months ago and I still have antibodies, you know, so who's to say my antibodies aren't the same as somebody who's vaccinated. I know I've been around people since I had COVID that are sick with COVID-like symptoms, some that are coming up positive for COVID and I have not contracted it from them. You know, it's immediate people that I'm next to or around. So am I immune? You know, they won't even acknowledge or test or allow anybody to expand on natural immunity. You know, that's kind of just, again, just hidden, written in the sand. It doesn't count. What was your experience of having COVID like? I feel like I had every symptom. <laughs> I had um, a migraine for the first 24 hours where I just felt I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and then I had high fever about 103, 104 for about four days. And um, then I had that cough, the dry cough. Um, I had skin sensitive sensitivity and I think that's it. Uh, like like um, eye pain and then post I lost my taste and smell um, and then post COVID I had um, really bad sinus infections that weren't draining so um, I was concerned because if you don't cure that you could get a bronchitis if you don't cure the bronchitis it could turn to pneumonia mm -hmm. so um, I was scared of that because it was coming up to the time that I would be placed on leave without pay and I'm like, well, if I don't have insurance now um, and I get really sick. Um, so that's when I ran into that doctor that told me no ENT would see me. Um, but to this day, I still don't have my sense of smell um, and uh, just a few um, sensations for my taste that I get for really spicy, salty, sweet and like sour. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I don't have health insurance. So. Right. Did you um, do anything to treat it for yourself? Um, for the sinus infections or just... When the, you had COVID, is, is there any kind of um, treatment that you pursued? No, I just let my, my body run its course. The only thing I did take was the Tylenol when my fever would spike really hard, high just to bring it down. But other than that, just plenty of fluid plenty of fluid and I slept a lot when I needed to and then um, I just would uh, yeah just tea the natural stuff tea um, water and then Tylenol if I needed it was that because um, you just figured you would ride it out or were there treatments um, that were not available to you was it was it a you know was it a choice um, of yours or was it a question of treatments uh, treatment availability um, it, I think it's me. I'm, I'm a little stubborn when it comes to taking medication um, if I don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, so I will push off for as long as I can to take anything. I think uh, my body should fight naturally what it does. But if it needs help, I'll, I'll give it that. So I know having a high fever for a long time is, is not good. So I do take the Tylenol to bring it down. Right. Um, but other than that, I just, you know, if I don't need to, I won't. Mm -hmm. So... 
you know, the only thing, even for the sinus infections, um, I kind of let it go its course. I would take, you know, hot baths to try and uh, loosen the mucus, um, mucinex if I needed it, uh, tea all the time, just to try and help drain um, like the neti pots and stuff like that. Um, but, the, you know, I did just get a little concerned when, um, you know, they weren't going away. I think it was uh, over a month and then I had like a week break and then I had another one. So um, right before I lost health insurance is kind of where I was like, maybe I should just go see a doctor just in case. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm pretty stubborn <laughs> when it comes to trying to treat um, outside of what my body can do. So tell me, tell me about the legal case. Um, in a nutshell, what's going on with that and where does it stand now? Our legal case is fighting public health law, um, which actually states you cannot um, mandate adult vaccines. Quite literally says that. Um, so um, she's fighting the case with the NYPD detective. Who, who are we talking about? Uh, detective Marciano. Uh, but the, you said she's she's fighting our you, lawyer. You, your this is the lawyer for Bravest for Choice. No, um, we have okay. So her, our lawyer's name is Patricia Finn. Okay. So she had started the lawsuit with the NYPD detective Marciano. Okay. Um, and then she decided to branch out and do one plaintiff from each city employee. So um, we split FDNY because we have FDNY firefighters and FDNY EMS for two separate unions. Um, so we didn't want them to say, okay, well, if the firefighter won, well, EMS is not fire. We won't count them. Um, and so we have firefighter from the Bravest for Choice. Um, myself, we have a sanitation worker and we have a teacher. Um, so our lawsuit is behind the Marciano fighting the same thing, the public health law, um, that you can't mandate adult vaccines. Um, and ours is still, the four plaintiffs for us is still sitting, waiting. Um, because right now they had pushed the Marciano into federal court and our lawyer wants to bring it back to um, state court because it's a state issue, it's a city issue. Um, it's not a federal issue. So the law she's fighting public health law is for New York's New York State public health law. Um, so right now they the judge denied to push it back to city, but they put to go in front of a three judge panel and we're waiting on that decision. So if it goes in front of a three judge panel, we'll see how far we get there. And then um, I suppose when she figures out if we went at that level, ours goes through for the same reasons and hopefully it's a much faster um, process than what's going on with the um, NYPD. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a timeline for, for the case? No. Um, she explained she fought during the measles pandemic and for that they had um, I don't remember the, how many people they had. It was definitely under 10 people infected with measles. And she ba basically went in front of the judge and said, we don't have a pandemic. And that was that, 15 minutes and they won. So she said, it could be something simple like that. We can go in, state it, and within the day, um, it could be over, which didn't happen. 
or will be dragged into appealing, appealing levels, um, you know, Supreme Court and stuff like that. So it's just where the only thing we do have on our side is that they seem to push it a little faster because of um, it's under emergency right now. So they're, they're pushing like the appeals faster. So every time they're like, well, we're going to um, decide on this. We're going to appeal it. They'll give them maybe a two week time frame or 30 day time frame. So that's the only fast pace that we have in this uh, lawsuit right now. Right. So what um, are your <laughs> options? What are your plans at this point? You were talking about considering leaving the state and not yeah. wanting to do that. What What do you do? What are you doing now? <laughs> and um, you know, sort of in the near future. And what are you considering as a long term option if things don't work out? So I have right now. I'm, I'm battling what to do. So I have um, a few options. Like right now, I'm, I'm I do a lot of baking um, or like party arrangements, the balloon arches, decorations, or craft things. So I've been doing. Um, working from home doing those things um making just a, a few money with that um i'm babysitting um anything that anybody needs help with if somebody needs me to run an errand i can run an errand for them and they'll pay me um so right now that's what i'm doing but when i decide for the future um well, what do we have we're gonna stop scratching <laughs> um so for the future i'm considering three different states depending on what I decide to do. So um, I have a friend who lives in South Carolina, so if, and she manages two hospitals. So if I were to go there, I would probably finish my nursing. Um, I'm very hesitant to do that. I'm, I feel like I'm a little turned off with the medical field lately. I don't know if I wanna continue in the medical field at this point. Um, which would be the easier route because I already started that process um, but I don't know anybody in South Carolina but my friends so it's a little overwhelming to think of a big change um, another big change would be considered Texas and I know nobody in Texas I like the idea of Texas um, and if I were to go there I think my my thought process and option was to get into real estate and learn to flip homes um, it's just something that I like and enjoy and hope I could turn into a career. Um, and then my other option would be um, Florida. So I have a lot of family and friends in Florida, so there'll be a little bit of comfort and security. Um, my friend would like me to be a live-in nanny, so that would help, you know, get my foot off the ground. And I was thinking of um, opening a... a food truck business for the baking um, and I looked into the process for that and it's easier to get a food truck license in Florida than New York so those are my options I haven't decided what's the best for me what I want to do sorry <laughs> but um, yeah every time I think about it I get a little bit anxiety because it is a big change but I know um, past that fear like it will open up a lot of options I just don't know which one yet so you put a lot of time, energy, a lot of your life into working in the medical field, mm -hmm. and now you're considering leaving it. Yeah. Like why, if you could go somewhere where there is no vaccine mandate, 
why <laughs> why would you leave um the ems is not um i could be um i have a certification for new york state and i can take a test to be nationally registered where my certification can carry me throughout the states um, but a lot of the ems in other states are combined with firefighters so you will be a firefighter medic mm -hmm. so um now expanding on the medical fields, I would learn about fighting fires, which I have a lot of respect for them, but it's not my passion. And it's something that you need to love to do because um, you need you need a strong team for that. You know, if, you, if you're not in it for the right reasons, that's somebody that's somebody else's life, you know, and I don't want to take something that I'm not into just to keep what I've done in the past. So I know that a whole life change is hard, but it, it might be something that I need to do. There, I think there are some states that do have um, medics that are um, just medics and not firefighters. Um, I just, I haven't looked into it. And I, I just think it's time to turn a clean page, possibly. And the states that you're talking about where you don't have personal connections, well, I guess you, I guess you do in two of them, two mm -hmm. and three, but, um, but you're talking about Texas. Mm -hmm. So these are places where um, the politicians, elected officials have expressed a lot of opposition to vaccine mandates, um, but are also just very politically different from New York. Mm -hmm. <laughs> has, has this whole... Um, process this this whole turn of events uh changed the way that you're looking at politics absolutely so growing up i um was never into politics i didn't discuss it it was kind of like that's one of the three things you don't talk about right politics religion sex you just don't talk about it people have such strong opinions you cause fight you lose uh, relationships over it so it was just something i never put um any effort into learning, shamefully. Um, and this taught me that. Um, and my grandparents were very strong in politics and uh, my grandfather was always trying to push it on me and he would get mad if I didn't vote. And I remember one year I voted um, to make him happy and I voted what he expressed was his choice. And after I did that, I, I realized that that's not the way to do it. So the next year I didn't vote and he was so mad, but it's because I didn't watch the debates. I didn't know their views. So at that point I started um, looking into it, but still not um, until today that I'm like, this is something that um, needs to be put more of an effort in learning in schools. As hard as it is, people need to learn how to have healthy debates. You're not going to agree with everybody else's opinion, but you need to understand that that's okay and just respect their opinion um, and leave your personal um, connection with that person out of it. Like you can have a debate and you're not going to agree, but just know at the end of the day, you still have a relationship with that person and it shouldn't be lost over it. So this year, I think I push a lot of topics that are hard and people avoid because, you know, people get offended or um it causes a lot of animosity between people but at the end of the day it's just it's you gotta step out your comfort zone so i definitely have um looked into it and i 
I know certain places that I'm choosing, I think I'm choosing until I can financially stabilize myself to decide what's the best place for me to live, to settle down in, um, where the politics work for me. Um, or it's not going to work for me 100%, but at least there's uh, more of an openness, inclusion. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But um, definitely this year, I'm way more into politics than ever. Well, what does that mean? The politics would, would work for what would make what are the more fundamental inclusive. things? So, that the make, being, yeah. being part of society, not being closed off to society because I don't agree with um, certain rules or regulations that people want to impose or their thoughts um, on other people or how they should live their lives. Um, I feel like New York, there's so many policies going or trying to be put in, even with the children, um, taking away the parental rights. To vaccinate children in school, I can I can't live in a place like that. I don't have kids now, but I wouldn't want to bring my kids up in a place like that, um, where I have to consider pulling them out of school, which a lot of people don't have that don't have that opportunity. So, um, at least I don't in those states I don't see them having uh, the restraints. I, I suppose is what I mean. They don't have those straights that New York is putting on their people at this time. Now, mm -hmm. I know if if things keep going the way it is here, it can push a domino effect for every other state, um, especially if it starts coming down from the president. And at that point, there is nowhere else to go. But, you know, I, I just miss living life and having more freedom. You were talking about um, people learning in school to debate and be engaged in, you know, civic life. Mm -hmm. Is that something you feel is deficient in your education? Um, I do remember it was middle school was the only history teacher that um, allowed for an open debate in class. But I do remember right before we had this debate, she closed the, the classroom door and she told us that we had to be... Um, quiet um so and i do remember that the it, w it was getting heated with people's views um but at the end of the day maybe because we were kids you know everybody kind of forgave and we were able to be kids and talk about other things but I, that's that's something that stuck in my head is that she did do that we had a debate on some point in history i don't remember the details um but i never had that in any other class any other history class after that in college, high school. So I don't know if that's just something she did or was part of the curriculum, but I don't hear kids having debates in school in history. So. Was this, did you go to New York City Public Schools? Was it? Yeah, I went to um, MS-158 actually in Bayside, Marie Curie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Was it that high school? Yeah, it was that high school. So. And what about, um, I mean, we talked a little bit about the media portrayal of <clears throat> different things that happened during the pandemic um what has this changed your view of the media um um as far as like the news or like social networks or both either yeah um yeah, just the whole landscape yeah I definitely um, steer away from the news, the, the, the general news or, or certain news um, channels. Um, even sometimes when I do interviews with somebody, 
um, you'll see that they kind of clip off certain parts to um, pan to what they're trying to portray in a bad light. Like they, there's many rallies that we had that we would speak from the beginning saying we're not, um, we're not anti-vaccines, um, we're just anti-mandate. And you'll watch it later and you'll say that this person is uh, the, the anti-vaccine uh, group and they'll show a clip of me saying, you know, that I don't ever want to be vaccinated to disregard the whole beginning of the process of how I went through it. Through it. I just wanted to wait time for adverse reactions. Or most recently there was um, a group that I guess caused some riff in front of the health commissioner's uh, house, but they showed a video clip of um, uh, the groups that were speaking on the mandates, which myself and some others of Bravest for Choice that were there. They showed the clip of that to connect with the issue in front of the health care uh, commissioner's house, and we weren't there. It, it was not related at all. So. Uh, to see how they just pick and choose to build a story has been hard to watch, um, that they're not giving the full truth. Um, and then with social media, I didn't have any personal, like I wasn't bl blocked from any of my accounts or nothing was taken off, but I did, people did show me, uh, family members, if they would post something that it was taken off for censorship because they were spreading wrong information. So I did see that, which is hard because that's how people get their information now mm -hmm. for the generation. Like This is what they rely on. And so when I see people or family members that have their strong views that connect with that, I can understand because this is all that they're seeing or hearing. You know, they're not, they don't know how, and I used to not know how to look for, um, um, you know, articles that are peer reviewed, that go in front of panels and they, they, they limit as much bias or the type of, um, the type of um, materials that they use to test. Like there's so many ways to pick apart an article to know if it's um, reliable um, and true. And a lot of people don't know that or they don't even wanna do that. So like I said before, they'll just find an article not realizing that that article can be someone's whole opinion just because they labeled it an article or a medical article or journal doesn't mean that it's completely factual so a lot of times i understand it with the censorship of the internet if you google something you're going to get what they want you to see on the first five pages you know and you're just going to click any article that coincides and you're going to say, oh, well, this is what I'm saying, or this is what's true, or this is what I believe, because it matches what you, what you think, um, not realizing there's so many other um, things out there that could be true, too. So it's, I don't really go on social media that much. My social media has changed from personal to more, um, you know, the things that I'm fighting and trying to post, um, you know, our events to be able to promote our stories, our um, fight. You know, we have a lot of the experts that have been silenced, the doctors, the scientists, um, to be able to speak as well so that people can open their mind and learn, um, you know, other opinions that could be true if you just open your mind to it, you know? So I've been, like, I don't really watch TV anymore. Definitely just different different world.
with the news and the media? So the way that it's supposed to work, I think, is that we're supposed to have public health officials um, who are kind of at the top of their field mm -hmm. and are looking at all the information mm -hmm. and are doing their best to give us the right information, give us the information that is um, going to benefit us and society the most, mm -hmm. right? And and do the best job of addressing our problems. Um, clearly, you, a lot of people, are not feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that it's it will ever be possible to restore that, to restore confidence in authorities, in you know medical authorities? What, what would it take? How how would the media world or the public health, you know, world and government need to be changed or restructured so that people could have confidence in what they're being told? I think it's hard um, to do and I think it takes a lot of time. So the way that change work, which kind of is similar to FDNY, sometimes you have a history of bosses, lieutenants, captains and chiefs that are not um, for the people for us for the EMTs and paramedics and you know might want to get you in trouble so there's always talking of a change of um, structure and the way you do that is you get more people that are willing to be advocates for these people to move up to be able to completely change like all those people will retire and then you can bring more people in so it's the same in, in the health field um, I would say, or even the media, you have more independent journalists that are willing to post both sides to move up into bigger companies. Um, and the same with healthcare providers, you have more advocate nurses willing to be a part of um, moving up into the change of the medical field. So there, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ways that people can do that. I just feel like, honestly, I feel like all the people out of work today. Are the advocates you know the teachers that are out the uh, paramedics the firefighters the doctors I feel like when we speak we have always been an advocate for our patients for the kids um, for the public these are the people you need back in there because we're the ones who want that change for the good but at the same time I feel like a lot of people are so turned off that I don't know if they want to continue <laughs> in the field and even move up um, and it's challenging because it's going to take time and years for that to be restored to get um, another healthy group of people in there um, willing to be for the people, by the people, the way it should be. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with, I feel like my generation was in that time where we didn't talk about politics. So we got a lot of people in office that weren't right. And I'm hoping that that can be restored where people understand and learn more and willing to educate themselves more and move in the better direction, you know, and, and, and it can change. I just feel like it's going to take time, mm -hmm. a lot, a lot of time. Mm -hmm. What do you see happening with the, with the protest movement? What has your experience been with that? Um, the protest. Um, you know, we still do our rallies and stuff. I just feel like we're getting a lot of people that are tired on both ends. You're getting, you know, our, us in the fight, um, are feeling ex 
tired at times and I know that's what they're banking on but you also have people that are willing to support you um, feel tired of it too and just wanting things to go back to normal and that was something that I think you can see even in FDNY um, the first day that we walked across the bridge all those people that walked across um, thousands and thousands and thousands of people um, the numbers are are going down in support because people just they want to live their lives and go back to normal they want to not fight it and hope that we can just not say anything and things will go back to normal not realizing that there's other things in play that they're trying to implement to cause more um, uproar more harm you know so I feel like the more quiet people are um, the more forced they're gonna be to have to make a decision when it's too late um, you know especially if, if they were to get that um, that bill passed to vaccinate kids against their parents consent I know a lot of people that chose to get a lot of parents that chose to get vaccinated um, you know for their kids so their kids didn't have to do it like they took the sacrifice and they voiced that they said I'm taking it so my kids don't have to but it's coming you know and and I wish we can we've been trying speaking out to get these you know people to, to not give up because we're there for the kids too and if we give up now by the time it comes to that we we're not we're not in we're in the defense mode you know instead of being ahead so hopefully they're willing to support and stand up um when you talk about parents taking up for their kids you're saying that they thought that the vaccine was risky but they wanted to protect their children from covid is that no um there's all sides of it there's parents that took it um so that they thought it would cause the protection so that they wouldn't bring it to their kids but there are parents that did take it um to for their kids not to so there's parents that took it so they can keep their job excuse me um so when it came down to if it came down to mandating the kids that they can have the financial means to change places change schools change uh homeschooling change states whatever it was i see okay so there, there's many angles to that um and you know now that they're hearing it they're willing to fight for their kids but i think they should fight for themselves too do you know a lot of people like that who took the vaccine um and didn't really want to take it they took it yeah. to keep their job or for their children or their family stability a lot a lot and that's why it's a little shocking to not see those same people um come out in support um and just kind of grow quiet and i've i've seen i've seen people cry over it um i've seen people pace back and forth in anxiety and uh fear to get it um, but felt like they had no choice. Um, you don't know anybody's situation, so you don't know if these people have sick kids that depend on health insurance or financially taking care of their parents, and they just felt they had no choice but to take it because they had to keep their job. You know, and uh, I don't know how they're doing now in the field. Uh, rumors are there's a lot more people quitting now um that's what i've been hearing so i don't know if it's just they saved money to get up and go that's that's an assumption um but i am hearing that there's a lot of people quitting i see sometimes members that i know 
on social media that it's their last day and they left the department and they're moving on. Um, you know, I just hope that they didn't do it in vain because um, I do remember a lot of faces um, going to get that vaccine. And I, you just see it, the, the, the fear, um, the anxiety, the people crying. And it was hard to watch. You know, I was with a partner one time and we were watching these people go and he did express that um, that's probably one of the hardest um, things to see is all these people feeling forced into complying um, to keep a job, which at any point can terminate you. So if they mandate that booster and nobody wants to take the booster, then they're back to this position where we are to being terminated. So you took two shots you didn't want to take. And if you put your foot down at the booster, you're in the same position. So do you keep complying with every booster that they offer to keep your job? You know, we had that young firefighter, 33 years old, post-vaccine die, completely healthy. And his family has to live with that. And his family knows he didn't want the vaccine. He didn't want it, but he took it to keep a job that he loved. Did, um, I don't know if a cause of death was announced in that, in that case that you're talking about. There's nothing, um, now. So initially our, um, commissioner, um, was it the commissioner? I think it was, I um, some, initially the doctor had announced that the autopsy came out and that it was, he can say for certain it's not vaccine related. Um, but the family did disclose that the autopsy was not done. So that was said prematurely and incorrect, um, I think, to kind of reassure people because there was a lot of um, fear growing in the department with the people that did become vaccinated. Um, so there was a lot of letters going out that I've had members tell me saying that they're aware of the amount of deaths that have come up um, possibly post-vaccine and they're looking into it. Um, so I think to kind of calm people's mind, he said that, but, um, we, we do have connection with, uh, the brother and from the person who spoke with him last, um, as far as we know, there has not been a release of the autopsy as of yet. Okay. So you're talking about, um, there have been several firefighters who have been relatively young who have died in the past year. In the past, um... Three to six months. Three to six months, right? Mm-hmm. How many of them do you know? It's, I think we're up to number five or six. Five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, and these were um, deaths that are, it's, they're, they're, the cause of death was not determined in all of these they're cases? They're saying the cause of death is medically uh, related. So normally when we have a death in the department, it is for a firefighter. It's usually a loss in a fire. Um, EMS, it could be um, a trauma um depending on the situation so these five deaths that have happened are being said by the department as being medically uh related right but nothing really more specific than that just that right so a lot of people are making a connection between the vaccine and these deaths correct yeah um you think that's that's playing into why some people are now leaving the department (laughs) i don't i don't know what do you think is going on there I think it's a mixture. It could be, it could be that. I 
also think some people maybe just um, just have grown tired of the um, restraints, you know, with the mandating the, the first vaccine. Like I said, a lot of people took it that didn't want to, may have caused some resentment and may have made them to make a decision. Some people retiring early they're just they're just done you know we've been the fire department has been through uh a lot of disasters right so we went through 9-11 which brought a lot of people together now a lot of people also got sick and forced to retire early or had to leave Mm -hmm. but there are still people on the job post 9-11 that um you know they continue to do the job but this (laughs) this has caused more um resentment towards the department um so there's definitely one person that i know of that's been around for 9-11 and for this it's the foot's down i'm not going to continue for to work for an employment that will force that on me you know hurricane sandy people work through is disastrous um the pandemic in itself because of all the unknowns was hard on people but that didn't really cause too many people to leave. But now, a few months after being mandated to get a vaccine, we have all these number of people leaving. I would assume it has some kind of connection. I don't have any direct stories, mm-hmm. but definitely an assumption. Do you have a sense of um, why people were so concerned about getting the vaccine? I mean, you, you've talked about why you were concerned about mm-hmm. it. Um, but you're saying you saw a lot of people who were just scared to, to take it. Um, do you, I, I don't want to ask you to speak too much for other people, but yeah. do you have a sense of what the main fears were? Um, no, I, I know a lot of women do express um, their fertility. Um, I have heard that the average people, I, I don't know what their, I don't know what their hesitation was. Um, I would think it's something to do with that it's a new form Um, but also I think it's because of what people saw during the pandemic Um, so we saw some people that did get really sick there were people that ended up in ICU so there and then you're taking that virus and you're putting it into a vaccine so I think a lot of people just think superficially I don't want that virus in my system Um, and I know a lot of people um, were hesitant because they already got sick with COVID. So they, they didn't see why they needed the vaccine. And that was one of the biggest um, points that were brought up um, when we first started, when, when we were involved with the union to uh, fight this was all of us have natural immunity already. We all pretty much got COVID. So why do we need it be forced to take the vaccine? Um, so if I had to guess, that would probably be like the main reason people were hesitant, but probably other factors as well. Mm-hmm. What am I not asking you about? <laughs> We've talked about all kinds of things. Yeah. What, what is an important point that hasn't been brought out that I haven't brought up? Um, I don't know, we talked about, let's see. I think a lot of people didn't realize when we were placed on leave without pay as well, we were told we cannot work any other gainful employment, which a lot of people don't realize. So while we were um, 
on leave without pay, you hear all those people arguing, oh, just go get another job. But we were told that we can't because we were considered still employed and technically being um, uh, punished. Um, what's the word? Um, we were being, um, what's the word when you, uh, not this, oh, I don't want to say disability. What's the word? Something with the, you're being, um, well, you're being punished basically. So you're being supposed to be brought up on charges, which we never were. We were supposed to go through an article 75 hearing for this. If we violated policy and you're placed on leave without pay, which is, um, a, a form of punishment for something you did wrong, you have to be brought up on charges. You have to go through Article 75 hearing, which none of us went through. What is Article 75? So you're brought in front of the judge. They bring forward the charges that you're being um, charged with for violating. Um, and then it's determined that what your punishment would be. You're, you're, you're to be terminated. You're to be um, taking X amount of days of pay away. Um, basically what your fate would be for the rest of the career. Um, if you can go back to work. Um, so none of us had that, but, and there's still people that are on leave without pay today that haven't even been terminated. Um, most of those people are people who have exemptions in. So when people say, just go get another job, you can't unless you quit. And a lot of times they're hoping that that will be forced on you, that you're just, you're forced to quit because you can't take it. Um, and, and that's another point too is, uh, people forget that during the pandemic, um, it was Mayor de Blasio that said um, he was gonna lay off, what was the number, 22,000 city employees. Um, and that caused a big uproar because it's in the middle of a pandemic. Um, these are first responders for the most part of the city workers, you can't do that, we're already short staffed. So they pulled back on that. But now you have all these people that you're willing to terminate it kind of allows you to get that number that you wanted to lay off in the beginning, hiding under emergency powers to force this unconstitutional mandate on people to terminate them and get rid of that amount of people that you wanted um, without actually saying that that's what that was. And I think that became more apparent to the general public when the mayor, um, when Mayor Adams lifted the mandate for all the um, elites you know, the sports players and the entertainers. So they don't need to be vaccinated, but somebody in their arena who serves sodas and hot dogs have to be. You know, there's no sense in that whatsoever. You know, like even MTA is not mandated as of right now, but their patrons have to be vaccinated to ride. It doesn't make sense, you know? Um, I don't think you have to be vaccinated to ride the subway subway no you have to the wear bus. a mask the i think the bus you had to show your card no no oh, okay no i'm pretty sure that's it's it's just there's a mask mandate okay um, but even the mask transportation the masks being forced on people so you know it went from the unvaccinated had to wear masks and the vaccinated didn't have to but we know that the vaccinated can still contract covid and spread it and have symptoms um, so why don't they have to, they didn't have to wear a mask at in, the time. In what, um, circumstance are you talking about? What do you mean? Where, where was it that people who were unvaccinated had to wear masks, but people who were vaccinated didn't? 
the time period no the place like where it was anywhere it's so if somebody went to even if somebody went to like a ball game the unvaccinated had to sit in between certain sections but they had to wear masks because they were unvaccinated but the vaccinated didn't have to wear masks that was um adams put that out i think i want to say adams put it yeah. out definitely look it up i don't remember the time period um but it wasn't specific to a place it was just the unvaccinated didn't have to wear a mask mm. it wasn't like oh if you go into the restaurant only vaccinated unvaccinated had to wear a mask well that was another thing unvaccinated couldn't even eat in, in restaurants right. you know so many many conflicting um rules you know that applied to some but not to all mm-hmm. yeah i haven't uh... I don't remember, I don't think I came across that myself where there was a difference made in the mask requirements. Yeah. But I'll, I'll look into that. I remember yeah. it being a conversation, but I don't remember it being um, to a, a place specifically. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like if you go in the supermarket, only the vaccinated can not wear a mask. It wasn't something like that. It was the unvaccinated didn't have to wear a mask, just as plain as that. Mm-hmm. But I look it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what else am I missing? Anything? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I could go into the, the personal struggles behind this, the, the amount of people I lost um, not due to COVID. So this was hard. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, the first person I lost was my grandmother uh, in April. And then um, about six months later, I lost my cousin. Um we were close when we were young, but I'm close to his father, my uncle. So I was really hard on, my uncle was hard on his twin brother and everyone, he was young. Um, so that was one of the bigger ones. And then a year later, I lost my uncle. So that's still hard. I'm sorry. And he's been one of the biggest um, supporters for this for me and then a month later I lost a friend um who's also really supportive um in this fight in me fighting this so and none of them took COVID um well my grandma my grandma got sick from uh, COVID so the other three not COVID related um so in the midst of losing my job Right, that's a lot at once. Yeah. I, I don't know if you want to go on talking about it, but were there ways in which the um, suffering these losses during the pandemic period with pandemic restrictions, did that affect the way that you were able to deal with those losses? Um, it was... It, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not a normal loss um, because you had so many people still in fear. So, you know, with my grandma, there was so many places that weren't even, um, you weren't getting a, a normal wake, you know. It was, um, I think, an hour that we had for a viewing and then you couldn't have more than 10 people. So how do you, how do you limit the matriarch of the family to 10 people um you know and it's what do you say to people you're not invited to 
the funeral so I know that that was really hard um, for my family to plan um, for my family to deal with um, and it was completely unexpected for my grandmother because my grandma didn't leave the house so she was not even like on our radar to be uh, at risk or that possibility um, so that was the biggest um, change the biggest um, uh, like difference you know to deal with during and then um, when it came to my cousin you're dealing with somebody that's young that's always hard um, you know because you never feel like they live their life um, but again you, you know you're having people that are vaccinated and unvaccinated and in the room and that causes a separation so you're having something that should you should have the support of all your family and uh during something so tragic and it's still causing more of a divide um so there wasn't any specific arguments um about it but you know people you're not getting the support you know somebody oh if you're gonna come talk to me i have to put a mask on you have to put a mask on you know things that you never had to think about before um and then it, when it came down to my uncle it was it was hard just because we were so close so that was hard for me but then i was going through this process i knew this was coming this was october 6th that he died and i was going to be placed on leave without paying november 1st so now it was taking any money that i had in savings to give him a wake for us to say goodbye um and then i cremated him um so it was hard financially it was hard emotionally um and mentally it was you know like am i doing the right thing you know should i continue you know so that was the hardest one um and then um my friend a month later you know it's just like i said just things you don't normally have to think about when somebody dies is now an issue or a topic or an argument you know so definitely a hard process in the midst of all of this um but every time i think about him i know that he would have been standing next to me for every fight so it kind of pushes me um but then you wish that they're that they're there with you so it's a battle and then I feel like I didn't actually grieve him, you know, because, you know, grief takes a long process. And in the midst of me trying to grieve him, I had to deal with all this, you know, and it's, what do I do? What do I do um, financially? What do I do emotionally? You know, what decisions do I make? You know, and then it's like, well, I can't think about that right now. Like, I'm trying to grieve. And it's like, well, I can't grieve right now. I need to make sure I have a place to live, you know, so it's been a struggle. So it still affects me because I haven't processed it, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's <laughs> everything's new, everything's weird. Um, like I said, things that I don't think you normally think about or have to process, like definitely have to process now. Is there anything that um, that has come out of this that has been a change in you or a change in the way you see things that's that you think is positive that will lead you in a positive direction yeah i think this has caused me more to um try and be in the moment and i've always been a person to believe that everything happens for a reason um 
but it's also a hard thing to practice so as long as getting over fear so those two things um, like when I went through the process of should I be vaccinated or not um, a lot of fear and anxiety almost caused me to comply with something that I didn't believe in and I didn't want so once I stepped over that fear it was an instant uh, sense of peace and release um, and a lot of people like how did you come to terms like are you okay with the decision and I don't know how to explain it other than I've come to peace with it that's that's all I could tell people is when you when you get over that anxiety when you come to peace you know you're making the right decision um, so it definitely has <laughs> driven me to like believe that this process everything going on every hurdle in the way um, and every time I feel like giving up, that's the fear talking, that's the anxiety, and I have to let that go. I can't be in control of what I can't control. Um, so I just try and let everything, even though I have those moments, I let everything happen as they're going to. And I know it in the end, whatever decisions I have to make, even if it's going to cause anxiety or fear, I'll, I'll come to peace with it. I, I, you, I've learned to adjust growing up. You know, so I'll adjust accordingly, but maybe this was um, supposed to happen. Maybe I'm supposed to be pushing on and moving on. So definitely looking forward to just being in peace in every decision I make and um, live in the moment and try not to worry about the future. Um, try and let go of the past. Definitely. I've appreciated my time more. Um, when I worked for FDNY, I think I put that job before a lot of things. Um, you know, certain family events where I, where I couldn't attend because I had to work. I had to work, you know. I had to work. Everybody has to work. But, you know, time's limited, you know. And I think the death of certain people also put that into perspective. Mm -hmm. So the combination of the two, I think, definitely made me appreciate my time and my time with my loved ones more. Definitely. I think that's probably a good note to leave yeah. us on. <laughs> um, but I really want to thank you no. for spending all this time uh, talking with me about this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I'm sure it can be hard and challenging at times. and. Hopefully you don't get a lot of hate mail <laughs> to have our, our, our stories told, you know? So. Um, well, uh, I have not received any hate mail. I hope that I don't. Um, but I think that for uh, everyone, no matter what their perspective is on this, I think it's important for everyone to hear your point of view um, and uh, for everyone to, as you were talking about earlier to to debate things and be able to talk about issues mm -hmm. um, even when we have differences of opinion yeah absolutely I agree we're all human that's right <laughs>